All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer World Cup podcast. Raf Giallo here, and tonight I'm joined by RT Sport Online's Ed, Le- Ed Leahy and also uh, Republic of Ireland legend Ray Houghton. And at the moment, we are watching the culmination of Group G. So on RT2 at the moment, it is Brazil against Cameroon, which is currently scoreless, about an hour into the game. And then also uh, Serbia against Switzerland, Ed, which is uh, proven to be a classic. So it's 3-2 in that game. Yeah, five five goals already, Raf. Um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a funny one, I suppose. You've got to choose whether you watch Brazil and just enjoy it, or else watch the game that probably means the most. Which is, uh, it was always going to be this clash of the two two European teams were sort of just trying to progress themselves up to that top table of European football. And you know, we've seen a lot of them in recent years, uh, Switzerland and Serbia. And I think on the day. The best performance I saw against Ireland was the away game in Geneva, which I thought Switzerland absolutely ate us for dinner. Um, they, were, they were brilliant, strong, technical, energetic, and they've brought most of that to the World Cup. And they've added a bit more, uh, a little bit more flair with the likes of Vargas coming in and making more of an impression on the team. So, yeah, I like, I like Switzerland, but I, uh, likewise, when, when Tadic plays well for Serbia, uh, anything can happen. Yeah, and obviously he's playing behind both Flaovic and Mitrovic, who've both got on the score sheet today. Uh, Ray, I know you have it on your TV there. So uh, what have you made of the Swiss who are currently leading? And, and and at the moment, they will be playing Portugal in the next round. Yeah, I've got to be honest with you, Raf, they've been really good. I mean, it's a fantastic game of football, end-to-end stuff. We haven't seen too much of that at the World Cup, to be honest. We've seen a lot of pragmatic sides, you know, sitting behind the ball, frustrating the opposition, trying to hit you on the counter-attack. I've got to say, with uh, both these teams in this match, they know the importance of it. You know, one of them wins it, they're likely to get through to the uh, the knockout stages. And at the moment, it's just the Swiss that are ahead. You know, they've already won one game, 1-0. One um, lost their other match. But this one, you know, it could go either way at the minute. But they are favourites to go through as we speak. We've still got half an hour or so left of the 90, plus any added on time. But we've already had five goals, and it's been... Uh, been a good watch, you know, and, then I, and I think for fans, that's really important. You know, when you're either watching on TV or you're at the stadium, you actually see teams going for it. And I don't think you can question either team and what they're trying to do. Both of them are at full throttle at the moment to uh, to go and win it. And I couldn't tell you who's going to win it in a minute. And that's unusual because normally you get a feel for a game as it's going along. You think they're, you know, a better side than the other. But uh, between these two sides, it's been really, really tight. Yeah, and uh, the final round of action in the group uh, in the group stages has proven to be very, very exciting. Um, before we touch on the earlier Group H games, which had a surprise of its own with South Korea joining Portugal in the next round at the expense of Uruguay. Uh, Ray, what did you make of last night? Actually, with the uh, the culmination of the Germany, um, Spain, uh, Costa Rica, Japan group, because in that one it seemed to be like every time you turn towards the TV, the table was changing the whole time. Well, it was not even that, right? I mean, if you go back to the start of it, I think when you first looked at the group, you would say that the two powerhouses of European football, you know, uh, Germany and Spain were odds-on favourites to qualify ahead of the two teams that they were playing alongside. It's been anything but that. It's been a remarkable group. Very hard to do distinguish, you know, what the scorelines are going to be. I only got one right, which was Germany against Spain 1-1. It's the only one I predicted. Everyone else has been a bit of a, you know, a bit of a predicament, to be honest. You know, starting off with Germany for an hour dominating Japan, by far the better team, only won 1-0 up, and then they end up losing the game 2-1. 
Spain beat Costa Rica 7-0. You're now looking at Costa Rica as the whipping boys and, you know, everyone's going to beat them comfortably enough. And then the next game, they're going to beat Japan. They've already beat Germany. You were thinking, how did that work out? And it was just the way that it transpired. And then Germany being 2-1 behind in the game, you're thinking, you know, that uh, Costa Rica could qualify and it was going to be difficult for both Spain and, and Germany. And then the Germans, as they do with the quality that they've got, uh, go and win the game comfortably enough. And then they're hoping for Spain to do them a favour by scoring a late equaliser. Because if that game between Spain and Germany had ended 2-2 with a goal difference, Germany were went through. Um, so it was really finely balanced. Credit to Japan over the course of the three games. They weren't very good in the majority of them, uh, but they kept themselves in it. You know, they're a really hard-working team. I wouldn't say there's an awful lot of quality about them. You know, you wouldn't turn around and say they're a great player or, or any of the, the team's great. But it's, it's not about the individuals. It's about some part of the team and how they all work together to get results. And they've done remarkably well. In Spain, listen, in Ireland, we talk about possession football a great deal, passing out from the back. I think last night, Spain had 83% possession in the first half, which means they dominated possession of the ball. They only scored one goal. I don't remember the, the Japanese keep making too many saves for all the possession that they had. So how I always look at about the game is it's not just what you do when you've got the ball, it's what your end product is, the chances that you create. And Spain didn't do enough, didn't do enough in the possession that they had of the ball, which allowed Japan to come out in the second half and have a goal. And that's what they did. And they got the two goals. The second one, as we know, is still controversial whether it was out of play or not, is still up for debate. Different different angles shows you different things. I personally, being at the game, when I looked at it, it looked like it was out. You know, and that was my instinct as a, as a player. Straight away, I went, that's out of play. Um, and the various camera angles I looked at, majority of them said it was out of play. And how they came to the decision it was in play, I don't know. And that's the difference between teams going home or not. So it was a big call from VAR. Yeah, and Ed, I think on that one, on that uh, Japan goal, the uh, the winner, uh, I think it's the the overhead camera angle seems to be the one that uh, seems to have uh, seems to be the one that does show it infinitesimally does you know touch that line. It does, but Ray is right, isn't he? If you're watching that game, and if you if you don't see, if you don't know that VAR, if you've no sorry, if you've no access to VAR, and if you if you don't have something like VAR to fall back on and you're the official and you see that ball the way it goes, you're you're calling that as, as out of play. You know, there's photographs from this side of the ball which shows the full line between the ball and, and you know, with, all, with, with grass between. But it is the fact of the matter, the round ball scenario where the whole of the ball has to be across the whole of the line, which it wasn't uh, thanks to the, the technology. But, you know, it's a... Uh, it's it's it it's what fire is there for, I suppose, and essentially that's the law. So you know, it, what it looks wrong, uh, effectively, it was right, I suppose. Yeah, and Ed, I mean, the the end result, obviously, Japan uh, winning, and then 
uh, at the same time topping that group getting to the last 16 when you factor in Australia who also can come through the the Asian route and and also South Korea today who we'll go into a little bit more detail later on and then you take in Saudi Arabia managing to shock Argentina um, and also Iran getting that win over Wales it's been a great World Cup for the Asian team so far well it has do you know what um um, I, I'm just, I suppose just in my head, um, FIFA are talking about bringing the football World Cup to Qatar to grow the game, and that's always their reason. It's why they went to America in 1994, and you know it's why they've brought, tried to bring it around the world. But you know the arguments are flimsy for the Qatar uh, for that scenario. But go back to 20, 2002. And we were in Japan and Korea for that World Cup. And now look at the two very much established footballing nations making their way through the World Cup, not afraid to take on any team. And both of them impressing to a certain extent at this World Cup. Yeah, and Ray, just on that, actually, because there's some similarity in terms of the way Japan and South Korea have won their games in this tournament. Both both teams have gone down by a goal and managed to to win 2-1, as we saw today with uh, South Korea beating Portugal 2-1, Hwang Hee Chan getting the winner at the end. It just show a level of resilience and also that they do back themselves in these scenarios. Obviously, Portugal didn't need to win today. That has to be added in. But at the same time, uh, South Korea had to go and stay in that game and then go on and beat them. Yeah, well, a couple of things. I'll, I'll come back to a point with the goal for Japan and whether it was over the line or not. And I don't think a lot of people have spoke about this, but it'd be an interesting one. If it was in the middle of the goal, so if, if it had gone over the goal line, would the referee's whistle or the referee's watch went off to say it was a goal or not? That's never been um, asked, that question. So what would have happened then? Did it go over the line or not? Would it have went if it went over the goal line where the goal is? What would have been done by the referee's watch? Would it have said it was a goal or not? That's an interesting one, but no one's factored in at the moment. And that'd be a big, big call from VAR's point of view, whether it did or it didn't. No one's asked that one yet. And that'd be interesting in that from VAR's perspective, what the reason would have been behind that. Now, when we come back to you, know, you're asking the question about uh, Asian size and the fact that uh, the Korean Republic have qualified, Japan have qualified, and Australia have qualified. That's three out of the 16. The likelihood is, though, that out of the 16 sides uh, that make it through to the knockout, eight are from Europe. And I know Europe's got a major uh, amount of sides in comparison to the rest when it comes to the World Cup, but eight of them, that's 50% of the 16 that qualify are from Europe. Three from Oceania, if you like, you know, Asian and, uh, and and Australia. And then you've got two from South America, which is Argentina and Brazil. Then you've got one from North America, which is the USA, and two from Africa, I think it is. I'm just going through it briefly. But that's the breakdown of the last 16. So it just shows you the dominance that Europe have got when it comes to this competition, where the, you know, where the top players play, if you like, or where the best leagues are. And... There's no surprise that they have got that number. And to me, that just shows you the strength and depth of the European nation, nations, if you like, and what they're, what they're achieving. Will one of the European teams win it? Maybe. I don't know. It's a fascinating World Cup. It's unprecedented because of where we are. It's unprecedented the time that we're playing at. Uh, here we are in, you know, like early part of December, where we shouldn't be playing World Cup football. Simple as that. Why? Because it has a massive knock-on effect for the 
domestic leagues around the world. You're going to take two years to catch up, to get back to you know the reality of playing at the right times of the year, what the players are used to. Is that right? I don't think so. That's my opinion on it. Um, the fact that we're playing in such a small area, so many fans in the one one place is very difficult. It's, it's very unusual. I've been at many World Cups. I've never been anything like this before. So it is, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's different. It's unusual. I don't quite like it personally. Um, but, you know, you put up with what you've got at the moment. But going back to the dominant place, it's Europe. Europe are dominating this World Cup at the moment with the number of teams that they've got in it. Yeah, and actually, before we uh, before we touch on more about the South Korea-Portugal game, uh, as you look at, well, from what you've seen of Brazil and Argentina, all the, you know, the pre-tournament uh, backing that they would have had, and they were sort of favourites one and two, Brazil were the justified favourites, as uh, Tim Vickery said, and then Argentina were also tipped to, to go very far. Have you been impressed by them? Obviously, uh, Argentina were shocked in their, in their opening game, and then have built back a little bit. Uh, Brazil have Brazil are very solid, of course, but they haven't really got flowing yet uh, from the games we've seen. Well, you look at Brazil, you're quite right. They've not been at the very best, but, you know, prior to tonight's result, they've already won the first two. So they've earned the right to change their team around for the, for the last game. Now, there's a lot of question marks about Neymar. Should he be in the team or not? Um, I've got to tell you, being out here, uh, there's... There's really there's great players and there's the supreme players, and Ronaldo, uh, Messi, and Neymar are undoubtedly the names on the lips of every fan out here. They're the three that really resonate. Not Mbappe, stem free. Whenever you hear their names in the stadium, there's a different noise to everyone else when their name is mentioned. Um, Neymar, you know, played in the first game that I watched. Um, he done okay. He wasn't great, um, but he's still a big name, and he's still a big player for Brazil. The one thing I'll say about Brazil is they've got more exciting players and match winners and game changers than anyone else. When they change their team in the forward line in midfield, they've got like for like, much more so than any other team. Added to that, you know, we keep talking about the older players, and it might be their last World World Cup from. Ronaldo to Messi to um, Lewandowski, all these top players have done so much for the game. One player that to get about is Thiago Silva. Thiago Silva, the centre of the defence, at 38 years of age, still playing for Chelsea, staying for, still playing for Brazil, still playing at the highest level, hardly gets a mention. And you know what? He's been fantastic the games I've seen him. Organiser, leader. He's the one that everyone looks to in the Brazil side is the one that can deliver for them. And he could be key in the remaining fixtures that they've got if they're going to win it. Now, predominantly, there's two areas of the pitch you win yet. How well you defend, but in particular, how well you attack. And I've got to say, in the ones that I've seen, Brazil have got more than most. Now, Argentina lost to Saudi Arabia on the back of not losing for 36 games. And I watched them that game, and then I seen the second game against Mexico, and there's a bit like, what's all the fuss about? What are they? What sort of team are they? You know, why did this team go as long as they did without losing? And then I seen them in the last match, and I seen the Christmas of passing, 
the movement, the determination, the desire, the fan base that's behind them. And then I sort of got it. I got, yeah, I can see what they're about now. And I think they're, more so than any other team, slowly building in the right way to where they're performing better and better and better. And the last game I've seen them, I thought they were absolutely outstanding, where it was one of the most dominant performances I've seen against Poland, where Poland are not the greatest team, but they hardly had a kick. And they looked an aged team, an old team. They couldn't get around the pitch. And that was what Argentina made them look like. And they played exceptionally well. And Messi was one of the indicators in that. But a lot of them, like DePaul, uh, played really well. Um, and then you've got uh, McAllister, they done well as well. So they just looked a good outfit. They looked strong defensively, good goalkeeper. Midfield, you know, they're not extravagant players. They're not ones that are going to do magical things at times. But you've got Messi. You've got someone there who's still at his very, very best. Um, he, he can't run like he used to, but he still picks up the best positions. But then you've got his way to pass, his vision, his awareness, and he can still have that little dribble now and again just to get you on the ed ed edge of your seat. So they're still one of the teams that you'd you be looking at. And you look at where they're going and the path that they've got. I think it's Australia tomorrow, isn't it? Which is um, a game where I've probably won too much for Australia. They've rode the luck a little bit. But Argentina, I think, are one of them sides that are really going in the right direction and going to be hard to play against in the rest of the tournament. Yeah, when you mentioned... So, just wondering, Russell, Ray, when Ray's talking about that Brazil squad and how strong they are there, um, like, you see you see the players who are bringing on, you know, and, and as you say, they were replacing like for like. But then in a match like tonight where they make a lot of changes and suddenly they don't look the same team, is that down to too many changes or is it down to the fact that they're already through to the next round? I think I think it's a factor both Ed, to be honest. You know, it's very difficult when you've already qualified. You know, you know you've got to win the group. That's not, that's, a, that's a sort of a given. Um, new players come in. But a lot of these lads want to play together. You train together and that's different. When you train together, you probably do that quite a lot, even with your club. But you're not necessarily in the same eleven. Uh, week in, week out, where you all understand each other game, like each other's game. So that's a big difference as well. Add on to that the fact that you're always trying to impress and you might be doing a little bit too much in possession of the ball to impress the manager to get you into the next team. But in the games that I've seen them, so the first match that they played, first half they were very, very average against Serbia. Second half, all of a sudden, they up to tempo, they passed it quicker, they brought on one or two players like Rodrigo come on, who I was really in, in, impressed with. Um, Vinicius hasn't been... He's been you, you look at Vinicius when he's been played at Real Madrid, he's been absolutely unplayable. Strong, quick, getting in behind the line. Uh, Richarlison... Here, here we are, Ed, you're involved with the media. So, Richarlison's hardly played a game at Tottenham, right? And everyone... And he's done well at, at, at Everton. Everyone was saying uh, in England, well, I'm not quite sure of him. The Brazilian media love him. They tell you he's one of their mainstay players. And they, and they can't believe that we don't say that in, in our media. They're going, no, no, I don't get what you're saying. So you're saying he's not quite as good as he is? And we're like, well, maybe, yeah, because he can't get a game at Tottenham. And they're like, no, 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 no. He's nearly as important, if not, and this is one, I'm only going what the Brazilian media said to us, he's nearly as important, if not more important, than Neymar. 
that's how they see them and the difference to the British media. So it's just about how you, you know, you look at players and you assess them and from one side of the media to the other looks at individuals. But for the Brazilian media, he is absolutely huge. Well, and isn't it interesting though as well, because um, what you were saying about Argentina, it was the same with me with Uruguay today, watching them and suddenly seeing the team, oh, this is how this is how they can play. This is how good they are. Suddenly you can see the spoiler of the team. You can see that bit of creativity sneaking in. And you see players like Nunes starting to show his best. And then suddenly it's too late. They've left it too late and they're gone. Yeah, well, that's one of the things, Ed, isn't it? You know, when you look at um, managers, sometimes they... And I think Gareth Southgate's this will be leveled against him. You put the handbrake on, you know, you know, you're too cautious. You know, you're, you're, you're more worried about losing the game than winning the game. And I think that was very uh, evident with uh, Uruguay. You know, the, I, I did one of their games and to be honest, they, they just lacked purpose. They looked look like they lost direction. There was no creativity about them. It was more about defending and spoiling rather than going attack. And then today, handbrake's off. And then you see a different team and you're like, why didn't you do that in the first or second game? Why have you left it to this match where, all right, there was still a chance of you qualifying. You've ended up not qualified. And you've seen Suarez after the game, Cavani in tears because that's the end of their, you know, their their international careers. That's the World Cup's over with, you know. And it's, it's sad to see great players who've had unbelievable careers and yet they go out in the manner that they do without really having a goal. And it might not be their fault. It might be down to the tactics of the, the coach and what he thinks is right for the team. But I don't know. It's, it's very difficult to explain when you've got good players like that and they don't show up. And then you get one game and then they play really well. And we all sit back going, why did you do that before? That's always the thing. Why did you do that before? Why have you left it to this, you know, the third match to show what you can do? And that's, that's sport for you. Yeah, and that 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 game you're referring to today, of course, is the Uruguay uh, team beating Ghana two 0 which just meant they fought, fell short uh, with South Korea benefiting and going second in the group. And at the moment, as it stands, South Korea are going to be playing Brazil in the last sixteen. In terms of Uruguay, um, obviously you mentioned Suarez and Cavani as they kind of leave the scene. In terms of Uruguay, uh, a club very close to your heart, Liverpool, of course, and Darwin Nunes would have. Had, there's plenty of interest in him. The spotlight has been on him in this World Cup because it's usually been him. With with one of the other two. What have you made of Nunes in this World Cup from what you've seen of him and especially compared to how he's adapted to Liverpool? Yeah, I did, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I think he got a little bit caught up in the antics of playing rather than the actual playing the game itself. So one of the previous games I've seen him, you know, after five minutes, he's hardly had a kick. You made a run down the down the wing and then he was trying to galvanise the, the Uruguay fans as if that was going to inspire it. You mean... You've got to inspire them, not the other way around. And it's what you do that gets the fans behind you. And he thought it was the other way around. It was up to them to, you know, keep screaming on and he would get better. Uh, and he hardly touched the ball in the previous matches that have seen him. Um, he's still got a lot to learn. He's still a bit raw, uh, but he's got potential and he's got something to work with. And he's at a club at Liverpool where have got outstanding players, you know, like Firmino, uh, Salah, Others there that you can really learn from, but it's up to him now. I mean, he's 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 given the opportunity. He's at the right club. They'll give him chances. You know, the manager's not afraid to put in youngsters at the club. He's proven that uh, in the last few years. And 
the onus is on him now to, to show the, the reason why Liverpool paid the money that they did for him. Yeah, and also in Group H, because as we said, Portugal top in the group despite losing two one to South Korea, but they had done the job. They had the job done from the previous two games. Um, what's your take on Portugal? Because they're going to be as they go through, they're going to be playing the winner of uh, Serbia and Switzerland, as it looks like. And for the moment, it's Switzerland. Uh, Serbia and Switzerland have both beaten Portugal in the last thirteen months as well. And there's that Ronaldo factor as well. Do they play better with him in the team or without him? And he has been subbed off in all three games so far. Clearly not fully fit. Well, I, I, I'm not a big fan of Portugal. I, I think there's a, a lot of weaknesses there. I think they've uh, rode their luck a little bit in the games I've seen. Like, listen, they're there because they beat the opposition that they've played against. But you know, they're they're, they're relying on Bernardo Silva. The, you know, Bruno Fernandes, these are the players that are relying on. The, Ronaldo, he's, he's much loved here. I can, honestly, I can assure you, as I said earlier to you, that there are certain players here, regardless of what they do, they can do something silly like put their foot over the ball and the crowd goes nuts. Absolutely well. When Ronaldo just steps over it without doing it, he's not done anything. He's not, he's not changed the position the ball was in. He's not taking anyone out of the game. But it just looks like, wow, and everyone goes absolutely nuts because they, they, they love them. But they need more than that. They really do need more than that. Um, and I'm not sure they've got the strength of depth to do it. Leal, uh, you know, had a fabulous season over in Italy. The reason why, uh, you know, he, he won the league with his team because he was absolutely outstanding. The fact that he's not in the team would be a worry. Um, so Pepe coming in at centre-back... Is another, you know, contentious point. Was he 39, I think he is, or whatever he is? And he'd done well. The game I watched him, he'd done really well. You know, he never got caught out of position. Um, he, he never had to deal with anything um, with the ball in behind. But when you get through to the knockout stages, and if they go a little bit further, and every opportunity they'll get to the quarterfinals. But then you come up against the real class of the, of the World Cup. And I think that's when you'll find out about um, Portugal and their deficiencies when it comes to defending. And I think that's when you'll see that they will struggle a little bit. Um, yeah, so I don't think past the last day, I think they might get through the next round. But after that, I think uh, you'll see the other teams coming to the fore and being a little bit more creative and maybe, uh, as a side, have a little bit more to them than Portugal. Yeah, because uh, the path that they're on, so they would get, uh, if they were to get past Switzerland as it stands, or potentially Serbia, if Serbia managed to, to stage a comeback at the moment, but it doesn't look like it, um, they would get either Spain or Morocco in the quarterfinals. I think we've seen enough of Spain at their best. I think Spain appear to be clearly better, but then even if they don't, uh, they're on the same side of the draw as France and then England Rath, as well, depending Rath, on who goes further. Just on, just on Spain, though. You know, like, I love watching possession football. I love watching possession football. But there's got to be a purpose to it. I just can't watch lads just passing it square and backwards, retaining the ball for no reason. Because to me, there's no point. There's, there's two key areas to football pitches. One's in your defending third, and one's in your attacking third. And it's what you're doing both. And the truth is, the beat Costa Rica, because Costa Rica were poor and probably, you know, were... They were overawed by the occasion and Spain, to their credit, you know, got the goals at the time. But if you watch them against Germany, they struggled. They struggled against Germany and they struggled against Japan in the sense of 
creating and scoring goals. And it's great having the ball and passing it around. But if you're not passing it through the opposition and you haven't got runners running in behind, then you're going to have a problem. And that's what I've seen with Spain at the minute. They're struggling with that. Uh, and I know some good judges in the game have watched them and they think they might struggle the further they go. Goalkeeper takes too many chances. You know, they played Rodri at, at centre-back uh, with uh, Paul Torres. I think Laporte will come in. Uh, he wasn't happy with Aspil Equator last night. He didn't think he passed the ball quickly enough. Carvajal came in and he didn't do particularly well. you got Llorente who could come in and play in that position. Uh, there's a lot of hype about Gavi and Pedri. I'm not as keen on them as some others. You know, I know they're young and I know their ages are 18, I think, and 20 or thereabouts. And everyone thinks they're going to be the next Xavi and Iniesta. I don't see that. And I'm only going on what I've seen. I hope I'm proven wrong. I really do. But you can only give your judgment on what you see. And when I've seen the two lads last night, and I've seen them in previous matches, uh, they're too predictable with their passing. None of them will really look forward quickly enough. So it's get it in, get it back. So they lend it to people. Get it, get it back, get it, get it back. They're not looking into where they can affect the game higher up the pitch. And to me, as a central midfielder, that'd be a, a slight worry. Listen, they might change in the, in, the, in, the, in the next few years, but just what I've seen of them, it would be a concern. Mm, that's very that's very interesting because they are, they are the two most recent winners of the golden ball as well which uh yeah yeah, yeah there are they are much hyped of course as well but um yeah obviously in the last 16 spain playing morocco and then on the same side draws i said as uh portugal and uh portugal and uh whoever wins this uh serbia switzerland game as it stands switzerland at the moment but the last 16 does begin tomorrow and the first game of course is netherlands against the united states three o'clock rt2 and the rt player and uh ed i think the main point in the build-up has actually been uh in regards to these uh i, I think more so with the argentina austria or australia game it's the the very short turnaround into these last 16 games there is, isn't there? Um, I, mean, I was even looking at the permutations for tonight's games, and I think um, is it Switzerland will have one extra day compared to Brazil um, for the for the next round of games, which will you know I suppose Brazil probably don't need to rest in so many players, but no, it's it's quick. But I think look at this time of year um, going into the World Cup, they were they were predicting that players would be at their peak fitness in the league season anyway. Be being they'd become running into a lot of games in you know December if they were playing in England or Italy or or Spain or wherever. So I don't think that's going to be a factor to be honest with you. Um, except for players who were or, or teams who were maybe struggling to use their squad and who are reliant on that sort of same 11 12 while you've other teams like Brazil who are you know can as as we said earlier can put 15 or 16 names up there uh, to start, you know, so I don't think it'll be too big a deal for the, especially the stronger teams who are getting into this stage of the of the tournament. Yeah, and Ray, for you, do the Netherlands really fit in as one of the stronger teams? Obviously, they have the USA at 3 o'clock tomorrow, and the USA Cameroon. haven't haven't had the luxury. Cameroon just scored a rough. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, I see it now. Yeah, Vin Vincent... Yeah, Vincent Abubakar making it 1-0 to Cameroon over Brazil. Um, everything we've said about Brazil in the last while, maybe we should just delete. <laughs> but uh, no, in, uh, realistically, though, just on um, the Netherlands, uh, Ray, do you, how impressed or not have you been by them? And do you think the USA have a decent chance of being able to shock them? 
Well, I tell you what, I've got to be honest with you, the USA. I watched their first game against Wales and I was usually impressed. First half, I thought they were excellent. You know, they've got a good attitude about, about them. They're young, energetic, got around the pitch. The only thing I didn't get from, they're not going to score a lot of goals. And I think we've seen that in the game against England, where I thought they were the better side against England, to be honest. I thought they'd done extremely well. Um, but I don't think they're going to score enough goals. That, I think that's going to be the downfall. And I don't know with the Netherlands. I'm, I'm a big fan of theirs. I think they've got some really good players. But I think, you know, Virgil van Dijk's going to have to really master that back line to help out. And if he does that, they'll have a chance. But the chances are it could be Netherlands versus Argentina, isn't it, in the, in the quarterfinals? And I think that's where they'll struggle. They'll struggle against a team that retains possession, moves it quickly um, and can defend well. And that's what you get from Argentina. But the Netherlands overall, decent. But I think they're going to have a real tough game against the USA. I don't think... In, in many other campaigns, Raph, I, I would turn around and said, Netherlands all day long. Easy. It's an easy victory. I don't see it. I think the improvement from the USA has been, been better. I think the midfield's quite strong. McKenney in there, you know, Musa's in there, uh, Tyler Adams. Energy, work rate, effort, commitment. Uh, and the boys at the back have done well. So, yeah, I don't think it's going to be as easy as people think for, for the Netherlands in this match. Yeah, and Ed, there's a couple of things happening in both games at the moment. So Vincent Abubakar, which I well, he took his shirt off in his celebration, so he's been sent off for <laughs> second booking. Oh. <laughs> and then there's a, a fight has broken out in the uh, Serbia-Switzerland game as well. So just everything's happening at the same time. Come here, I'm just trying to do the maths here. Um, if if Serbia grab an equaliser here, I, I think Cameroon go through. Is that is that the case? Um, have they scored more goals in Switzerland? Um, I think one more goal against would bring the will bring the goal difference uh, level. I'm not sure um, the specifics on that, but Serbia could really. Uh, I think Serbia are gone now, but but looks of it, but they could they could they could have a little say, a little last say in it. Yeah, it's just getting it's getting tempestuous anyway. But uh, <laughs> imagine being Vincent Abubakar, Ray, if Cameroon do the unthinkable and actually sneak through, and then he can't play in the last sixteen because he's decided to <laughs> take his shirt off. Well, I don't think that's going to be the case because Switzerland have, have already won one game, and so if they win this one against Serbia, six points, that's them through, isn't it? We know with Brazil, they've already got the six points. But you're quite right there. As you can imagine, because of the intensity of the game between Serbia and Switzerland, it is going a bit nuts at the moment. Mitrovic is involved in some unsavoury stuff at the moment. But I get it. This is it. You only play in the World Cup every four years if you get there. And it's not often that you do when you, if you're not one of the big nations. So I can understand why you're, you're in a position like this. But we're into four or five minutes of added on time and there's only seven. So... It'd definitely be something major for, for, for the Swiss not to go through, as it is. Serbia, you know, being an islands group, we've seen them firsthand, what sort of team they were. You know, like uh, when they, they beat us 3-2 and we drew at home with them. They're a good side, you know, and they came out on top of above Portugal. So it showed you the capabilities that they've got. But in fairness to the Swiss, the Swiss, are, you know, they're not renowned for top-class players, but they seem to get it right. When it comes to tournament football, where you know the, the the selection that they've got, they all work hard. So it's, a, it's about the sum parts of the team, not about the individual. And they seem to get it done, and it looks like they could get this done again. But um, yeah, 
you know, the the two probably two teams you'd spectacle through. I I did before a ball was kicked would have been Switzerland and and in this game and looking at Brazil as well. Yeah, and uh, of course, as you you mentioned, Argentina against Australia uh, earlier on uh, again seven o'clock at the Ahmed bin Ali Stadium. Um, Obviously, Argentina are going to be huge favourites here. As you said, they seem to click into gear against Poland, but there seems there has been a little bit of a change of personnel. Some players who were, had started the tournament, like Leandro Paredes, has been has been sort of relegated back to the bench, and also uh, Julian Alvarez of Manchester City has been really impressive. Ray, and do you expect them to kind of stick with that when it when you fall on a winning formula? It seems like that's the way to keep going. Well, I, I just think Rafa. The manager really trusts Christian Romero of Spurs. I mean, he's only 24 and he's not played a lot of games for Tottenham this, this campaign. He, he played him in the first game against Saudi Arabia, left him out for the second match and brought him back for, for the third game and left out uh, Martinez of Manchester United, which I was surprised at because I, I thought Martinez and uh, Otamendi in the second game were really good, you know, against Mexico. Didn't give Mexico too many chances. They looked nice and solid. Then when I seen the team sheet for the third game against Poland, I thought, oh, that's a bit unusual. But the manager obviously really trusts Romero alongside Otamendi. Um, I think Montiel plays right back and then you've got Acuna who plays on the left. But I think, is it Fernandez, the young lad? He scored, he scored his first goal for his country, come on as a sub in the, in the game against Mexico, the second goal, great finish. And he was a huge difference because they played Rodriguez. I think he plays at Real Betis, uh, the number 18 in the second game. And he, he was a midfielder playing, well, predominantly he was going back into a centre-back yeah. position. He kept, yeah, he kept like, being a third centre-back, essentially, yeah. By doing that, Rafa, he was taken away from, you know, where Argentina needed more players, which was in midfield. And all of a sudden, this young lad comes on, plays in the centre-midfield, and they looked a completely different team. I mean, I could see that. How the manager didn't see that, he knows the players inside what he should be doing. And that was a major call and difference. The reason why they won against Mexico and they went out in the next game and won comfortably enough against Poland as well. So the manager has to get in his mind his best 11, stick to it, get them out there playing. But players like Paredes and others, you know what, they're really top players. All they've done is lost the gun. I'll go back to him. Coming into this campaign, they'd unbeaten in 36. I mean, you've got to do something really well not to lose in 36 games. You lose one and then all of a sudden you're useless. I mean, that was the, the concept that was out there. Oh, they must be very good. They must be very lucky who they played against. And that was, to me, a load of nonsense. It was just the, they lost away a little bit. And then that game against Saudi Arabia, they had three goals disallowed, you know, for, for offsides or whatever it was. They could have easily been two or three up and we wouldn't have been talking about this. But they lost the way, lost the game, and then you're questioned about your, your tactics and your team selection and the manager panics a little bit and you change things around. But slowly but surely, they're, find, they're finding their feet again and finding that confidence and belief. And I just think, personally, you're going to see Argentina getting better. Are they the finished article? No. Have I seen better teams than them? Yes. Have I seen better squads than them? Yes. But I'll come back to they've got a winning mentality, which has been proven in the fact that it was at 38, I think, 39 games that they've played, they've only lost once, and that is a phenomenal record. 
Yeah, Ned, I think it's our fault in the media here. Us media boys are the ones that always jump to conclusions straight after a game. And, you know, it swings and roundabouts. But uh, also, uh, as the uh, as full-time blows on Cameroon beating Brazil 1-0, an unexpected result, I believe uh, Joey and Doe uh, and his predictive skills do deserve a certain level of credit. Joey, yeah, he, he's a... But he 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 um he serenaded the team tonight before the game, didn't he? I think uh, he's, he's I'm not going to repeat the song he sang, but it's out there on, on social media. <laughs> he said, "Let it shine, boys, let it shine." So uh, they've they've listened. They've they've got out there. They've got a good result, and they're leaving. They're going to leave with their head heads held high. Um, I don't know what's going on in the other game, but there was meant to be seven minutes of extra time, and it's yeah. already the eleventh minute. So it's, it's just blown up there. Wanted to see it here, yeah. So that's Switzerland through. So there we go. Yeah. So there, there we are. We have the full and complete last 16. So tomorrow, as we said, Netherlands against the United States, Argentina against Australia. And then on the 4th of December, Sunday, England against Senegal, France against Poland. And then on Monday, Japan, Croatia, and then Brazil, South Korea. And then finally, Portugal against uh, Switzerland. Uh, so that is all of it. And Ray, at this moment, from what you've seen, uh, who's your standout? Uh, maybe if you're to pick a top three to go all the way, uh, which what, what way are you looking? I, I would say at the minute what I've seen, um, Brazil have got the capabilities. Uh, obviously, they've made a lot of changes tonight uh, and the reason why they lost the game. Uh, but if Neymar comes back, and he, it's not about him, it's about the team. Um, certainly, they can go much further. I think when it comes to like for like in the attack, they've got the best squad. I don't think there's any question about it. Um, I really like France. I think they've got a, an Mbappe, uh, Dembele. Uh, they've got players that can change a game. Um, Giroud, I'm not so sure about. I know he's had a fabulous career for his country, but I'm not sure at this World Cup that's going to be enough for them. But Mbappe and Dembele are absolutely frightening. Griezmann, if he's back on form, is obviously uh, a, 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 a good player for them. Argentina, as I said, look uh, a complete squad. And obviously, you've got Messi that could be the game changer. And you mustn't forget England. As much as you, <laughs> you might think, you know, at times um, they flatter to deceive and, and and there's a lot of hype about them coming into these competitions. I think if Gareth gets his team selection right, there's enough quality in this England team to take them much further. And that's what it will be down to. Team selection, letting the lads go and play, playing with freedom. And if they do that, there's enough quality in that England lineup and setup should pose problems for a lot of the teams that are here. Only problem they've got, Raf, if they get through against Senegal, which I think is going to be a real tough ask, because I like Senegal, even with Manny being out, you look what they achieved uh, over in the African Cup of Nations, uh, the way that they qualified for the World Cup, the belief that's in the side at the moment, um, they'll be a tough team to play against for England. And if England come through that, they get France, possibly. Uh, and then in the next round, France are playing Poland. And I expect France to beat Poland. Poland look like they're out on their feet and look like a, an older team that's just struggling at the moment. Um, so England v France, if that is the case, oh, that'll be a tough call. We call that one. Yeah, and uh, as you said today as well, of course, you, you were having a well-earned uh, day off after a, a busy uh, start to the tournament in terms of commentary. So where are we? Where are we going to hear you next? Yeah, I'm on tomorrow. So I've done uh, ten games in eleven days. 
which has been absolutely great. The only good thing is, is like there's not a lot of travel. It's not like normal World Cups where you'd have a day off to travel to the venue that you were going to, uh, and then you would be doing the game the, follow, the following day. Because everything's accessible, you know, you, you can get to the grounds within an hour. You know, they're all, you know, the metro is absolutely fabulous. You can get on the uh, the buses to wherever you want to go. It's not that far. We've only got about two or three uh, venues that is a bit of a, a struggle to get to. But overall, it's been uh, it's been easy enough. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to the upcoming fixture, starting with uh, Argentina uh, against Australia, which actually, my time is today, not tomorrow, because I'm obviously... <laughs> So uh, it's near enough uh, today. So, yeah, it is. It's five past 12 here. So it's five past nine back at home. So um, really looking forward to it. Australia have done unbelievably well. Brilliant. I'm, I'm so pleased for them. There are a few Australians in the hotel supporters. They can't believe they're still here. I think they actually booked their tickets home after the group stage and they've all hastily tried to book uh, you know, flights for later on and staying here and getting tickets for the match. That's the great part of, about it, you know, seeing teams that you might not have thought got through doing it and they thoroughly deserve the, the position. Having lost to France 4-1, I think it was, they've not conceded in the next two games, winning them both 1-0. But I know they'll they'll believe that this is a real tough ass. They're playing against one of the informed teams of world football. One defeat in the last 39 matches, whatever it is, is absolutely sensational. So, um Looking forward to it, but I'm anticipating an, an Argentina victory. And I've, and I've got to say, the, the fans over here that have really stood out is Argentina and Brazil. The amount that are here, and I don't know if it's just locals, and I don't think it is because we got on the metro to go to games and the actual metro train is jumping up and down. It's actually bouncing. There's that many <laughs> on there. And that's four hours, three and a half hours before kickoff. They have been absolutely first class. Friendly engaging, passionate, love their country, and they're here to see them do extremely well. And more often than not, they're here to see Messi crown himself to be, if not the best, one of the best in world football by winning every tournament that he's gone in for, whether that's domestically or internationally. And I think anyone who loves football would say the same, that if anyone deserves it, it's probably him. Yeah, and certainly from tomorrow, there are no more reprieves in this tournament. But you have a reprieve now, uh, Ray. Obviously, you've reminded us nicely that uh, you're actually on a different day to us at the moment. So we'll let you, we'll let you get to bed anyway. Enjoy uh, tomorrow's game. And Ed Lee, thanks a million for taking the time as well. Uh, one crack in the game there, obviously, between uh, Switzerland and Serbia. And then obviously uh, a nice story for Cameroon at the end there against uh, Brazil as well. But anyway, uh, thanks a million for joining me. Thanks, boys.